Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of the SB Nation Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott, your National Recruiting Analyst. You can follow me on Twitter, at SBN Recruiting. And today, I'm joined by SB Nation college football guy, Richard Johnson. What's happening? Richard, what's your Twitter? Under, uh, excuse me, RJ underscore rights. Wow, we are doing great this morning already. Hey, man, it's it's just prompts. I, I should have put this in the notes. Uh, so yeah, y'all should definitely follow us. Uh, good follows. We don't we don't tweet a bunch of stuff that's not entertaining, and Twitter's fun for entertainment. Tweet for show, but for, or uh, Facebook for dough. Yeah, exactly. We 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 didn't promise it's always about sports. We did promise it's always entertaining. Right. All right. So what you been up to? I uh, I last week got back from Syracuse, beautiful, beautiful upstate New York. Um, I was in Syracuse to talk to Syracuse head coach Dino Babers. Um, I got a speeding ticket for going 10 over, so don't do that in upstate New York. Uh, but besides that, uh, it was a great interview with Dino. Um, and he's a very engaging guy and a very interesting guy. Um, and Syracuse is also a really cool college town. Um, if you get a chance to go when your uh, friendly neighborhood ACC squad is on a road trip, I highly recommend it. Um, but probably just don't go in winter when a foot of snow is melting. Uh, I actually worked from the beach yesterday. Um, my internet company that shall not be named because we're partially uh, contractually with NBC. So uh, they are part of that internet company uh, went out. So uh, my wife and I both work from home. I'm like, hmm, you know what we need to do? Let's go to the beach because it's nice out and not super hot yet. And it was like 78, maybe low 80s. And uh, we worked from the beach, which was solid. Did you get to try dinosaur barbecue up there? I did not have dinosaur bar- barbecue. Um, Funk and Waffles, Possibilities, and Alto Cinco are three places that I went that were very good. Nice. Okay. I, see, I always want to ask a, you know, a guy, I know you live up in Connecticut now, but but you know what good barbecue is. So I'm like, as somebody who is actually from down here, have they had it and can they compare it? Because all, all your New Yorkers are going to tell you it, it's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Right. So Dino, t- t- yeah, tell, Dino. first of all, what, what's the name of the piece? When we, when we started recording yesterday, we didn't actually say the name of the piece. This is bad promotion. We're, we're making Bill Connolly look like a promotion expert here. Uh, so we need to actually make sure we don't do that. Richard, what's the name of the piece? Yeah, the name of the piece is Dino Babers is here to strike fear into defensive coordinators. It is on SBNation.com. Uh, it's on the actually the front page of our college football uh, section of SBNation.com. Big, beautiful picture of Dino um, with some of his team uh, coming out of a tunnel there. And uh, uh, it's a really great interview. It's, um, you know, I kind of get to plug here and, and uh, peacock a little bit. Um, it's an exclusive. Uh, as a reporter, it's my first exclusive with, with a Power 5 head coach. Um, you know, we sat down in person and we got, a, I got a lot of stuff that he hasn't really talked about before, or at least hasn't extrapolated on. Um, we got the origin of his name. Uh, we got the fact that he like loves movies, like not, not just like likes movies, like loves movies is up on current movies. We talk about movies like a lot in here. Um, uh, obviously we talked about football and, and me and Bud will talk about what we talked about with him. Uh, with football and Dino also talked about Baylor and they were, it was essentially his most extensive comments um, on Baylor since the scandal broke that I could find. Uh, Babers will typically, you know, kind of shut it down because a lot of the time he was asked about 
Baylor in the vein of will he take the Baylor job? And so that's a really easy thing for a head coach to shut down. Um, you know, are you going to go take a job at another school, whichever school it is, it's a really easy thing for a coach to shut down. Um, much less Baylor with the issues that Baylor's had and the scandal and all that kind of stuff. So he was really engaging. Um, and to his credit, um, as a subject answered some questions about Baylor and, and kind of played ball there. Um, and so the thing with it though is, uh, Babers was gone before like a bulk of the scandal happened. Um, he left for Eastern Illinois, his first head coaching job in December, 2011. Um, most of the beginning of the scandal involved Tevin Elliott. Um, he was popped for two counts of sexual assault, uh, and convicted for 20, uh, excuse me, uh, convicted to 20 years in prison. Um, and Baylor, the school was later sued by five women who say that Baylor, that Elliot raped him, excuse me, raped them um, from 2009 to 2012. That coincides with Babers' tenure. Um, but besides that, Babers doesn't have much overlap with like the scandal in its entirety. Besides being friends with our Bryles and Bryles essentially like being a mentor, like Bryles was the person who was most prominently in his ear to bet on himself and take the job in Eastern Illinois. Um, yes, they do still talk. Um, they don't talk. They're not talking every day, but they, they do still talk. They are in contact. Um, and I asked Bryles, you know, kind of about what he thinks of kind of how the scandal is portrayed and how Bryles is portrayed and stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, he, he said what he knew and that was, you know, I was there from 2008 to 2011. Um, Ted Manelli was there. We got rid of him, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, you take that for whatever, what it is. I think for a guy who, look, has probably at least consulted with a lawyer or a PR guy about how to address, you know, the, the, his time there at a school that, that had a scandal, you were able to extract, I mean, like you said, this is probably the most he's ever said about it. Um, you know, and it, that's not why you went there. You didn't go there to do an investigative piece on, on, on Dino's time at Baylor because he quite frankly, wasn't there for the vast majority uh, of the, you know, w- w- when the scandal was taking place. Um, but I, I think that you, it was a question you had to ask, right? Like you can't to go talk to the guy and, and not ask him about it. Yeah. I like, I can't sit in a room with him for an hour and a half um, and not ask that question um also like and you know we we kind of take you behind the veil here and kind of you see how the sausage is made as a young reporter and oh as you know i'm only 24 folks um you know as a young reporter trying to kind of make his bones in the industry um and kind of you know figure out how good i am at this this is something of hey you know you're going to interview him about a wide range of topics like this needs to be one of them you need to craft intelligent questions you need to craft questions that aren't going to insult him or assume something about him um that isn't remotely true or anything like that you gotta just put the ball in his court and have him ask the question or answer the question i should say um and so that was important and it was important in a sense of because it's important in a sense of getting a record set straight. I don't know if it's setting the record straight because obviously I wasn't doing an investigative piece of Baylor's or, uh, Babers time in Baylor. Um, but it will go to say if Babers gets another job this year, next year, 10 years from now, 
you're going to see the Baylor line on his resume and it is going to raise eyebrows. It just is. And so because of that, you need something on the public record um, that explains his time at least a little bit. Um, and then, you know, whatever reporter or whatever job, uh, that he's going, athletic director that he's going after or whatever, um, you know, then they can ask their pointed questions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this is, you know, he's got something now in the public record about his time in Baylor. Um, however long it is, however thorough it is, whatever. Um, but you know, that's the point of asking it and that's the point of getting it in there. Absolutely. All right. Let's, let's pivot a little bit and. The podcast is not serving to explain everything in the piece. We don't have ads on this podcast. We have ads on our site, so we like to make money. Uh, and so y'all should go read the piece, which is really good. What What's something, both football-wise and non-football-wise, that, that struck you that, that you kind of – is there anything he said that made you go off script for your interview and, and just dig into that subject more? Yeah, um, the one thing, well, first of all, he brought up like Broadway musicals, um, which I was not expecting him to bring up. Like I knew he had a passion in movies and stuff like that. Um, but we talked about like Broadway musicals a lot. He's like, and he likes them. He's in New York and he got a chance to go see him with his, with his wife and his kids. And it was a pretty cool, uh, a pretty cool story thread. Um, the thing on the field that I think surprised me is we kind of had a, me and Bud, I should say, kind of had a um, a hypothesis about like, so he runs this Art Browse offense, um, which is a offshoot of the air raid system, the air raid tree, and that was a that was an offense born mostly in Texas when Art Browse was at Stephenville High School in the 1990s um, and needed to take advantage of what he didn't have, namely offensive linemen, or at least, you know, five offensive linemen that you can run three yards and a crowd and a cloud of dust football with. And so because of that, um, you know, you've got this system now that is so aggressive that throws the hell out of the ball, um, that moves lightning quick. And so essentially, you know, what I wanted to know from him was you can do that in Texas because a bunch of fast guys run around. Now you are an hour away from the Canadian border. That's where Syracuse is. Like Syracuse is way the hell up there. Um, how do you recruit this? How, how do you do that? Um, and I think the interesting thing he told me was that, sure, they, the system is niche, but that doesn't mean it's like limiting. That just means it's niche. And so I think for him – and his team and his system and his recruiting strategy, they get to not have to go toe-to-toe on every single kid. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Virginia Tech, teams like that are dealing with up in the Northeast. Um, you know, they can go after they – can, they can kind of find diamonds in a rough, and they can find different kids that some of those Northeastern Power Fives um, don't necessarily have to look for or don't necessarily have to go after – um, in the way that they do. because And the other thing is that benefits them because, and he used, um, he used the example of a spiral graph um, when we talked. But essentially, when you go, the farther away you go from home, and Bud, you can speak to this, the, the farther away you go from your home base, the more variables and variants you bring to the table with kids you're going after. Th- there's just different factors for a kid in Valdosta, Georgia, 
for Syracuse than there is for a kid that is in Valdosta, Georgia, for Florida, Florida State, Miami. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, if you think about this, right, the NCAA, the, their rules have, have gradually shifted, and you see coaches like Saban and Meyer and Fisher, and I, I haven't seen Harbaugh do it, but I assume he agrees. The head coaches can't visit as often, and your visiting days throughout the year as a, as a regular coach are, are more limited. So it's harder to build relationships with kids now. Um, you, you see the media saying, how, how, how could you admit this kid given he had blah, blah, blah in his background? Well, a lot of times you don't know. But I will tell you that the closer you are to a, a kid's home, the greater chance that whatever uh, whatever it is you probably needed to know to make the right decision on whether to take him or not, the greater chance that gets back to you. I mean, Valdosta to Syracuse is a long way away. Uh, but there's not that much talent up there in Syracuse. I, you know, Richard, I, I do think one thing that, that's really smart here is, you know, I kind of had this theory of college football that certain teams control their own destiny, right? Like, at if they're operating at peak efficiency, there's probably like 15 teams that ha- can basically, if they're if they're doing it the right way and, and, and they're humming, they can win a national championship without somebody else, like, being down, Right. And it, it, it kind of trickles down into conferences. You know, Syracuse, to me, is not a team that controls its own destiny within the ACC. Like, even if Syracuse is at its very best, it still needs, like, Florida State and or Clemson to be down to win its division. So, those very top teams are sort of the market setters. The lesser teams, in recruiting-wise, are sort of the market exploiters. They have to find the market inefficiency and, and, and go to that. You know, be the Oakland A's, be, be the money ball here uh, for, for the cliche term. You know, but it was on base percentage in baseball when nobody valued that. And then when on base percentage got very expensive in the free agent market, uh, they found defense was undervalued. And, it, and it's constantly changing. Syracuse, you know, there's not that many teams up north that chuck the ball all around the field. I really think from a recruiting perspective, the system they run up there is actually exploiting a market inefficiency because you could have some receivers who are pretty good who probably only caught 20 balls a year in high school. You also play in a dome. So your your home exactly. environment is more conducive to throwing the ball. Exactly. It's controlled environment. It's controlled setting. Um, and in on November 15th, in a home game, you can throw the ball 65 times. And the other thing is their road game, besides – which besides a, besides a, a date with potentially Notre Dame or Boston College, it's they, they're just not going over cold in right. conference play. Are they the 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 most passingest cold weather team in the country? I'm uh, trying to think. I mean they they'd have to. What about uh? What about Nobody Boston? in the Big Ten runs the air right? Oh, uh, I mean I no. I would say I mean you'd have to go down to Bob Stitt at Montana, right? Um, and they're not even they're not even FBS. And then, I mean, that's Washington State's cold. But Washington you know, that, State. Washington do something different. I, I think that's that's really smart. You know, and it's not like Syracuse is competing with Washington State for kids. That, that's about as far away as you can get in the continental United States. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense from a recruiting perspective to do something different and stand out in some way. Uh, it also makes sense from a ticket sales perspective, right? Like, people do like offense. You know, Georgia Tech is actually pretty damn successful under Paul Johnson. And a lot of their fans complain about it constantly. I, I don't know if, if that came up at all with, with Dino, but the, the excitement level of, of this super aggressive attack. 
Yeah, it's something that Dino talked about. I mean, he Dino talked about in his um in his intro presser, like that, like the vision of butts and seats um and the carrier dome rocking. I mean, like the, like he Dino's been a an assistant um or was an assistant, I should say, for almost 30 years before he got his first head coaching job in 2012. He has been on the offensive side of the ball for literally almost all of that time. Um, so he's been through a lot of offensive systems and he has seen the game change. He has seen modern football, um, spread it out on offense, you know, five DBs as base personnel on defense. Like he has seen the game get to the point it is right now on March 30th, 2017. Um, and yet he chose this offense to run, you know, I've it's the most recent offense he's, he had been at coming straight from Baylor, but he could have run whatever he wanted. He could have brought in an offensive coordinator to help him out that, you know, runs a, a very pro style under center um, system. Hell, he could have ran the option. Like, you know, he um, he played college ball with Ken Niamatololo, who's at Navy right now. Like, you know, he could get some consultation on how to run an, op- an option offense. Um, and that would have even fit with the personnel he had at Syracuse because Syracuse ran the option before Babers got there. Yet he chose this one. He chose this modern uh, in vogue offense to kind of brand himself to. Um, and he knows that it's the most aggressive offense that he's ever been a part of. He knows that defensive coordinators have to plan for this. He likes that. Probably the money quote of the entire story, and I won't ruin it, is about defensive coordinators um, and, and, you know, how tough it is to prepare for. So read the piece, pay our salaries. Uh, um, so that's a little, uh, that's a little trailer for the piece right there. I like that. You know, I, in thinking about, I, I mean, if, if this works, I wonder how many, you know, first of all, I wonder how they can keep him. I mean, Babers is, is 55 years old, right? Or going to be 56 in, uh, July. That's, yeah, that's, that's older than I thought. That's the other thing. That's the other thing y'all need to realize. First of all, black don't crack because my man is, I believe, 54, um, about to turn 54 going on 55. Like my man is, you know, he doesn't have 20 years left in the game. Let's just put it that way. Um, but the air raid system, the air raid variant that he runs um, is a system where year twos are just like, big and that's like a mike leach thing that's an our browse thing that, that's like a across the board for these area guys like the second year in the system like really good things happen and babers even admitted that like he sees that and understands it um and so because of that uh, you know their schedule is just a monster i mean they're, they're in the clemson louisville florida state side of the acc um and so just off the jump it's tough um, then they go to LSU as well. Um, you know, that's four very tough games and they play Miami. That's five, just like tough games. Um, if this team can make a bowl, uh, they went four and eight last last year. This team can make a bowl. That's good. If this team goes seven and five, this team goes eight and four. If this team goes eight and four, I, there's no way Dino Babers of Syracuse is head coach next season. I cannot see that. And that's not any kind of informed speculation. We didn't talk about that. That's just me taking a guess because if they went eight and four, that means they beat somebody, um, essentially. Absolutely, I mean eight and four with, with, with that crazy schedule they have would be remarkable. I, 
this is really long-term projection, but I, in the ACC, because of how the divisions are, are really kind of unfairly structured, it does matter who you play, um, or not unfairly, but kind of unequally structured. It does matter who you play from the opposite division. Um, and it matters more for coastal teams, essentially, like do you draw Clemson or FSU? But, you know, from the opposite perspective, Syracuse has some tough non-conference games. This year, the LSU, I think next year they have Notre Dame. 2019, though, and this is probably longer than, than Syracuse fans will want to project with the build. But, man, no, no Notre Dame, no LSU. From the opposite division, they get Pitt and Duke. This could be, by the way, year number three of a kid named Tommy DeVito, who we're about to talk about. Yeah, and well, I mean, you said the funny thing is we don't know what Pitt's gonna be like in two years either. Pitt could be a Pitt could be something serious too. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying as an easier draw and an easier schedule. I mean, Syracuse kind of you mentioned it too with an inbounds division. Um, the the when we talked about let's take the SEC East for for instance when we talked about Vanderbilt um, or Kentucky coming up in the SEC East. The, the the immediate, like, glass ceiling conversation is Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and hell, even South Carolina in some years. Like, there's just, there's three things in a sense of teams that have to, that, that have to happen for you to even get to a place where you're second or even first on your side of the conference. And that's the, you know, those are the, the challenges for a team like Syracuse. To, to move up and to come up really um, and become an ACC power with the way things are structured. Um, but you mentioned DeVito. Um, Tommy DeVito is the number 15 pro-style quarterback in the country. He will arrive on campus in June. He did not do enroll. Um, do enroll. He did not early enroll, I should say. Um, and because of that, like I said, he'll be on campus in June. Um, I – I don't think he's a guy expected to start in year one because he didn't early enroll. Um, when guy when young guys get on campus in January, typically they get into the playbook, um, they get into the strength program, and like they just like learn college like as an eighteen year old. You know that that's got a learning curve, um, and so because of that, uh, Devito will uh, Devito will probably not start year one. I don't think. I don't think that pressure is going to be there. Eric Dungy, who did have some injury issues, missed the last three games of 2015. Yeah, missed the last two games, three games of 2016, missed four games in 2015. Um, he was an option quarterback that ran Scott Schaefer's option system and then had that 180-degree flip when Babers got there and actually played pretty well last season uh, before he got hurt in the Clemson game later in the year. Um, and so because of that, Dungy will – you know, he's healthy now. He will lead the team through spring and probably be QB one um, September first. They're they're pretty set at QB because I, I don't know if folks realize this. And Dungy probably flew under the radar a lot because the ACC's quarterbacking last year was, I I think pretty clearly the best of the country. Um, I know the Pac-12 had some good kids too, but you know if you have the Heisman Trophy winner and Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky and Actually, the ACC's leading passer in Nathan Peterman at Pitt, which I think a lot of people don't know, and maybe LSU fans probably do know. Uh, and then Brad Kaya. And then Francois. Dungy 
was actually probably the seventh or eighth best passer in the league last year when healthy, but he would probably be like the second or third best passer in a lot of in a lot of leagues. He was very good. Um, you know, especially because I don't think Syracuse had the most amount of talent around him. If if he can actually start this year and allow Devito to sit and develop, you know, Devito, I I got to know him pretty good throughout the recruiting process. He was at a lot of the events I was at. Also got got to know his parents a little bit. Uh, pretty cool folks. Managed to uh, grab my bag actually when it started to rain out in Oregon unexpectedly, <laughs> and so uh, shout out to Devito's parents for not having me explain to HR when my laptop got wet. Uh, he's got a lot of talent, man. Uh, you know, for Syracuse to sign a kid of, of that level, um, and especially like a kid that that fits right. He's a he's a Jersey guy, but I think he very much understands New York culture. Very quick release. The arm is is a plus arm. I mean, it's not like a Felipe Franks, Joe Milton, you know, Jay Cutler cannon type thing. But it, but it's a big arm, uh, and the release is quick. He he. The other thing I was like, okay, how is he going to play with all these other elite kids out there? And he fit in perfectly. He didn't look look the moment was not too big for him. It was it was great. Um, that that's a big time signing for Syracuse, and I don't I don't know if if people realize that if. If Dino can develop him, and I think he can, because I think he has a heck of an eye for quarterbacks. He actually signed a guy, if I, I think the timing is right on this, at Bowling Green named James Morgan, who was one of the better kids I saw, like one of the better kind of under-the-radar kids I saw three or four years ago. Um, the redhead out of, I think, like a suburb of Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin. Um, I'm excited to see what Babers can do with him. And, and, you know, do I think Syracuse is going to all of a sudden start winning the league no, I mean they haven't really they haven't signed a, a four star recruit since I think 2013 or 2014. I think Devito should have been one, by the way. But I do think that they have a chance to more consistently go to bowl games by by recruiting because in this system you don't really need to have great linemen. And I know this is something Babers you know talked to you about a little bit. Like you want to have them. But but you can work around it, and, and that's something. If you're sort of one of these college football underdogs, you have to recruit around certain things that you're probably just not going to be able to fix, right? And you're not at Syracuse. You're not going to be able to get like five five star linemen to block for your five star quarterback who checks to your five star receivers after play actioning, you know, to your five star running back. <laughs> you know, that's I I think the way they have at quarterback right now and. The ability to to tell a kid from Miami, hey, yeah, it's cold up here, but you're going to be able to ball out on TV. You're going to be able, be able to play Florida State, Louisville, Clemson, Miami, and you're going to be able to catch balls in a dome. So you're at, you don't worry about coming to try and catch balls in the snow. You know they're not trying to run this system at Boston College. I, I think that that really has potential to help Syracuse. Is the goal to start going to bowl games more often than not? Like, is that a reasonable goal? Like, hey, make a bowl game three out of four, three out of five, as opposed to what they've been doing the last decade or so? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Like, it, like look at Syracuse. Like, w- honestly, what success has Syracuse had in the time span and the memory of recent recruits? So a recent recruit, a 17-year-old in 2017, means he was born in the year 2000. Yes, you're all old. If he was born in the year 2000, he started, like, recognizing and realizing what college football, like, was in about 2010, essentially. 
right? So his knowledge of college football is 2010 to now. What has Syracuse done in two, from 2010 to now? What, what have you done for me lately, Syracuse? Um, and so because of that, I think, yeah, the bar is probably bowl games. Um, you know, Donovan McNabb isn't here anymore. Like, they're not going to Orange Bowl like they did in the late 90s. Um, they need to get to bowls and then figure it out from there. Um, like I said, a six and six Syracuse, I think would be really good. I think anything more than that is gravy. Um, absolute gravy. And they've got an offense that can get people. They've got a system that can get people. And if year two is going to be really good, um, here, I think that like as an upset possibility, I mean, look, they go to, they go to LSU early in the season and, and unseat the Tigers. And, you know, you, you got some people talking then at that point. Um, you know, you talked about having an eye for quarterbacks. It's interesting because Babers did not play quarterback um, and has been a wide receivers or a running backs coach essentially everywhere he's been, each stop he's been. Um, so he brings an interesting sensibility to, like, looking at quarterbacks um, and coaching quarterbacks and coaching the dichotomy between the quarterback and the wide receiver. And, you know, that's another thing that's in the story. Um and I think that, you know, is Babers a bit of a quarterback whisperer? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, the only reason you know Jimmy Garoppolo's name is because of Dino Babers. Um, Dino Babers got a hold of Jimmy Garoppolo at Eastern Illinois, his first head coaching stop, and in year two had the most prolific quarterback and the most prolific offense in the FCS. Got to an FCS quarterfinal that year in year two after going, I believe it was seven and five, um, if not a little bit worse, in his first year. And so, yeah, like Babers got a little bit of quarterback whisperer in him. Um, and DeVito is a guy that can touch all corners of the field. Like he can take the ball where it needs to go, honestly. Um, you have to respect what, Absolutely. Exactly. And that's what the offense needs. And that's what Babers even said. Like Babers told me, like, look, you need, you need an NFL quarterback and you need NFL wide receivers. Like Bud just said, you can get a goal, you can get by with – you know, not having five elite linemen, but you do have to have a quarterback that can touch all corners of the field, especially because even like the things that you think in your head as the simplest things an offense does, like an out route, because of what Baylor does with its wide receivers, um, by stacking them like essentially between the numbers and the sideline, a five yard curl route from the opposite hash is like a 40 yard throw. Like you gotta, you gotta have somebody that can get the ball out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know we'll, we'll drop the uh, the Devito highlights. By the way, if we well, not if when we post this on SB Nation in the actual like like article form, uh, we'll put the Devito highlights in there. You know, Rich, one thing that I'm thinking about, and this is sort of recruiting related. How do you balance the expectation? of the great year two bump, which I know you wrote about in there that these offenses, the, the, the Baylor offense, and I, I mean, it's spread beyond Baylor now. So I really, they need to come up with a name for this. That's not Baylor offense, but for now the Baylor offense, how do you balance the expectation of that with the extreme difficulty of the year two schedule combined with the fact that, well, they haven't had a whole lot of attrition in their starter ranks that, they lack depth at some spots, for sure. You know how, how how do you think that goes, right? Like like, do you think that the the year two bump is going to be enough to potentially make a bowl game against this you know crazy schedule? LSU, Florida State, Clemson, uh, 
Louisville. Who do they get from the Coastal this year? It's it's two tough teams, right? Do they get Miami? Yeah, Miami is one. Miami and uh, was it Wake? I think you know the divisions. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, okay. So it's yeah. So Miami and somebody that's not my, they always play Pitt. So okay. okay. So, so their Pitt's their their uh, their anchor from the other division, and Miami is their rotating team. That's really tough. Essentially, I, can they get to a bowl game this year and, and show that improvement? It it would like it, the year to bump. Like if it's that great and they get to a bowl game, that's that's the that is the special nature of this system. That is the you know the weird nature of just success stories in this system. It's going to take getting some people. Look, they they start the season with three very winnable games before going to LSU. So this team is going to be gassed up, I would imagine, heading to Baton Rouge. Um, and, you know, maybe that place is rocking. Maybe it's a night game or something like that. It's a really, truly special atmosphere. Um, and like I said, maybe they get LSU. I mean, that would be a massive deal, like a massive deal. Um, and then, you know, they go to NC State and then they get pit. Um, and so, you know, they're 4-2, and 5-1 and one going into – they get Clemson at home is the thing. The other thing about this tough schedule is, like, all these games are on the road. Besides Clemson, like all their hard games are on the road. LSU, Miami, Florida State, and Louisville are all um, on the road. That's tough. That's tough. So yeah, I think bowls the ceiling. I think if they go six and six and go to a bowl game, that's that is that's something where you'll look at the records and say, oh, he just went four and eight to six and six. But then you'll look at the schedule, and, like any any assessment of what Dino Babers will do this year. Like, just look at the schedule, man. Just look at the schedule and understand what the challenge is um, to get Syracuse where they want it to go. You know what what a big win could be for recruiting? You mentioned can they go down there and upset Death Valley. They actually go to both Death Valleys this year, right? They're at Clemson and – No, no, no. They get get Clemson at home. Clemson Clemson at home, home. excuse me. Okay, they're at Florida State. Can can you get me to halftime? where the halftime show is actually talking about your ability to pull off the upset and showing some of your highlights because you're you're leading by a touchdown or maybe you're tied at halftime. You know, can you yeah. can you get Twitter talking, oh, no, Knowles are sleeping at home or, or you know, Death Valley, LSU better, better wake up, Syracuse can ball. That helps for recruiting too, man. Because if I'm a coach, I'm going to take that clip. I'm going to go visit a kid. I'm going to say, look at this. We had these guys for a half. We don't have the depth. Right now, to play with them, we need a couple more ballers. We need a couple more dudes who are willing to come in and work and grind and make this a better place. But we can play with them. Our system can play with these guys. Even if you do that, like the the tough schedule is and just the the extreme marquee nature of this schedule. You're playing some of the not just like hey, there's a lot of like good teams on here. You're playing like the best athletes in college football for the most part on on the schedule. If I can go in and show hey, we're able to play with these guys, we just don't have the depth. That's an impediment to to making a bowl game with the difficulty of the schedule, but but it actually could help recruiting this year. Also, I think there's interesting uh, late season, um, like just like coaching mind matchups against both Jimbo and Bobby Petrino and Mark Richt. Like they're like you've got three; those are three very elite college football coaches, um, and so you've got Babers kind of matching up in the chess match with them. That I think is very interesting. Oh yeah, I mean the the the, the contrast of styles. I I want to see Babers uh, Matt Canada again. 
You know, that, that, yes. that was a battle last year. Yes. Yeah. When, when he was a kid, for listeners who don't know, the, the offensive coordinator is not LSU. And then Babers even mentioned, like, Venables is like the – Venables, who's Clemson's defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, is pretty much the only coach that, like, had his number last season and, like, has had their offense's number. Like, Clemson shut him out, and he said he's like, that's the first time I can remember getting shutting out, getting shut out in, like, forever. Um so yeah, I I think that that raises two interesting points. One, Babers has, has spoken about how you know you can have success in this offense without elite offensive linemen, and I, I agree. I don't know if you could win the division without the ability to block Florida State and Clemson at all, right? Which is kind of what happened in, the, in the, those those games this year. I think you can absolutely upset some folks and. You know, upsets of good teams, I mean, and go to a bowl game if you don't have the ability to block up front. At least not against, like, like the, the future NFL guys that those teams sign. The other thing on, on this that, that I think is, is interesting, Babers, I don't know if this is somebody preaches, but they just do not quit. I remember watching a couple of their games last year where they were getting blown out, and and I don't know if this is necessarily smart, but it's certainly dedication to a mentality. They just do not stop throwing the ball. And I got to tell you, having watched ACC for a while, like Wake and Clemson and Duke, they'll pack it in. If if they're if they're down by twenty in the or, you know four touchdowns in the fourth, they're not getting their quarterback hit over and over and over again. They're like, all right, all right screw it. this, this thing's over. Let's let's sort of uh, you know pull our pitcher here and we'll, we'll throw him later in the. Uh, in the tournament, not, don't want don't want to get them busted up. Syracuse, man, they just keep chucking. They they do not all of a sudden just run the ball three times and punt. Yeah, exactly. And that like, I, that is we, this system is aggressive. They will stay aggressive. Dino Babers will go for it on fourth down. I mean, there's no like, I know you you uh, you pull your hair out about Jimbo uh, Jimbo's fourth down math and fourth down calculations and decisions. Like, nah, Dino Dino don't worry about that. Um, he, I think the interesting thing is he doesn't use a play sheet at all. He calls plays from memory. Um, and that's like, that's just like a, a, a quirky kind of like thing. Um, I think he, the way he teaches, it goes back to the way he teaches offense, which is much more of a visual like way, um, that he talks with quarterbacks and he talks with wide receivers. Um, and I like it, it kind of infiltrates a lot of what he does. Do you? Do you think that comes from his time at Hawaii? Because like another guy who was at Hawaii for a little while, Paul Johnson, oftentimes is not using a play sheet. I, I don't know. Does does Niamatololo use a play sheet? That you, do you know? I don't know. We, we should we should ask uh, podcast ain't play nobody. They they watch a lot of the AAC ball. Yeah, um, and that's a, like that is something that I think maybe that is a Hawaii thing. Maybe that is kind of just something from those guys. Um, but, you know, like guy like Cliff Kingsbury doesn't use, doesn't use a play sheet really at Texas Tech, or at least not a very big one. Um, you know, it's it. The, but the the gag is, and the um, the misnomer, the biggest misnomer, is that this offense is simple. Like this offense is not simple. Like you may think it is, and that's why he'll rack up fifty points on you. Do you think? All right, does he have somebody up in the booth tracking what plays he's called, though? Like, Babers may not want to personally have a play sheet in his hand so that he can he can sort of take in the scenery 
and absorb other elements of the game that he might miss if his head, if his face was buried in the play sheet as a head coach. But he's got to have a coordinator as a play sheet, right? Who's who, who, Babers is it, like? Do you think it goes? You know, Babers saying, "Okay, hey, I, you know, I, I want to run, you know, this or that," and the coordinator comes back with, well, "We've run this five times. We haven't run this yet. Let's you know, let's try this." Or, "Hey, we had success with this. Let's go back to that." Does does he have a dude in his ear giving him suggestions? He's he's got to right. He wears a headset. It, it, yeah, he does wear a headset. He's not like a Brady Hoke out there. Um, so yeah, I think probably there's something like that, but like they'll run the same play in a row. Like they're not afraid of that. They will run the same play in a row. And those tempo teams do that. I mean, it, they're betting that because of the, the tempo with which they line up, you are, you know, you're, you're struggling to line up against them and actually get a line and and you may be outflanked or or out leveraged that you're not going to have time to realize it's probably the same play until it's too late. Exactly. Like, let's say, let's just take it in a vacuum. Um, you know, you have your, it's one of your, it's one of his wide receivers, one of his wide receivers lined up way outside the numbers. Um, and the DB is, let's say the DB is supposed to have outside leverage, um, or supposed to maintain outside leverage because he's got a safety coming over the top. That was on play number one. All right. So let's say the defense dials up another play where there isn't any safety help or maybe it's just cover one and the safety has like a, you know, would have to range pretty far over to give help over the top or something like that. And that DB lines up just a hair wrong. And they're running that same nine route streak down the field, four verts, whatever you want to call it. Um, You're cooked. That's a touchdown. Like, and, and they, and let's say play one doesn't work or play one's just a five yard gain and he, or a sack or something like that, that's fine. We'll run play two with 25 seconds left on the play clock. Um, and, you know, you're out of phase. Your hips are just barely misaligned. Um, and that's a very, very quick touchdown in two plays. Like, that's this system. Absolutely. I, I, I like watching this system. I mean, I, I don't know if it does hamper your NFL development to the extent people say. I don't know if it's something that's necessarily great for the next level, but I think it, it's very effective at the college level, for sure. I, I, you know, I think it's also fun to watch in that they really, they will throw the ball up with one-on-one matchups. You know, they, it's not necessarily get the ball to the guy who is the, the most open. I mean, if you, if you have a one-on-one, they, they take it a lot. At least that, that's what they did at Baylor. And from the extent that I've seen Syracuse, I probably watched probably three or four of their games last year. Um, I, I like watching it, you know, especially w- w- when it's good. Um, I know Jason Kirk and I say, you know, bad air raid is the worst football. <laughs> but it doesn't stay bad for that long, typically. I think they're going to get a lot better. I actually pulled this stat up against Power 5 teams last year, 6.9 per attempt, which is, you know, not great. Uh, 16 to 11 touchdown interception ratio. I think this year they could probably get at least a two to one touchdown interception, even against the schedule, and they could maybe get to like seven and a half. No, that would be a big improvement. Uh, and I think. The I, one, I think. I think the one thing that you've got to, um, the one thing you've got to realize about that is this offense was coming from an option system. Like it's not just a regular like zero to air raid type thing. Like you were like it like. Literally as polar opposite as you can possibly be from the air raid 
to this variation of the air raid. Like it's it's a hell of a switch to flip. Um, and I think because of that, that like the job that Eric Dungey is a quarterback and the trigger man for this thing um, was able to pull off when he got better. He he maintained a completion percentage with doubling passing attempts, more than doubling his passing attempts. Like that's not something that always happens. I mean, how do I say this? And not only was it an option offense, it was a bad option offense. Like <laughs> it was brutal to watch. Scott, oh god, Scott Schaefer's teams at Syracuse, they played hard. I'll give them that. But other than that, uh, their offense was was a, a, a dumpster fire consistently. And on defense, they they just they didn't seem to alter their game plan very much. Like they would just blitz, just blitz like nonstop. And I was like, well, that's interesting, but you don't have the players to cover uh, some of these dudes who you're playing uh, blitzing that much. And so you'd see, like, the Clemson FSU games, they'd throw for, like, 12 yards per attempt on them, which is pretty high. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how this goes. Did, did he talk about the advantages this system specifically gives him in recruiting? Yeah, but in like in like the niche perspective that we were talking about in the beginning, like okay. in in the sense of like it gives them a niche to go after guys um, that the big boys don't necessarily have to go after, um, and the system is very much in vogue. I mean, it, like it is like it's just the way it goes. And the funny thing is now defenses have um, defenses. It's in vogue to the to the fact that it made defenses change. Nickel personnel is no longer sub package. Nickel personnel is base defense, um, and so because of that, this system and the the influence of the spread uh, offense in general has made defenses counter across the board. Oh, there's no doubt. It's getting harder to find linebackers, right? I mean, because high school teams aren't playing as many of them, um, which is why. It's weird that some of these pro-style teams are almost exploiting a market inefficiency as well because, you know, the spread is just so pervasive now at the high school level. Um, but it's, you know, it's harder to find those kids as well. Um, let me ask you this, Richard. What what got cut from the piece that, that is fun to talk about, if anything? Like, what, what, got- what, what did, I mean, you got an hour and a half with, with, with the guy, which, by the way, props, that is awesome. Uh, m- most coaches probably won't give you 20 minutes. What? Yeah. The, um, I think the one thing that I didn't really get in there was about admission standards in recruiting. Um, because I think in recruiting you, Syracuse is a private school. Syracuse is a really good school. Um, I Syracuse is also almost the only other school that I applied to. Honestly, I applied to UCF down in Florida, obviously Florida. I'm a, uh, a Florida alum. Um, and Syracuse. I wanted to go to Syracuse Journalism School because it is what it is. Um, didn't end up applying because, you know, when when you have a kid and you see the tuition at Syracuse, you'll understand why I didn't apply. Um, but I think the, the thing is that while Syracuse is a good school, um, the admissions standards aren't necessarily prohibitive, but there is like an artificial barrier there to guys that Babers and their staff will go will go after because you want to bring somebody in that's going to pass like you want to bring somebody in that's going to do well in school and graduate Um, and that's not just for your APR essentially that's for recruiting 
because let's say you you've got a guy um, from the metro Atlanta area, whatever. You bring him in, um, and he fails out of Syracuse, and he's got to transfer. Well, when that young man goes back to Atlanta to talk to his former high school teammates or his former high school team or whatever about different schools, what's he going to say about Syracuse? He never got experience there. He failed out of the school. But if you bring a kid in from metro Atlanta area that passed and that got his degree and maybe didn't even go to the NFL, but goes back home to start a business or work for mom and dad or do whatever, like they become boots on the ground recruiters in places where you can't go every single day. Dino Babers and his staff cannot be in northern Georgia every day that you just can't. And so because of that, you, it, it's a way to backdoor relationships with kids and coaches by, by bringing in guys that are going to succeed, by setting young men up to succeed. Um, it benefits you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if that guy goes back to that high school, if it's like a pipeline high school, you know, that, that that's that's a big recruiting chip. Even if he's not, you know, a guy that's, that's in the league, uh, which, look, most kids – don't go to the league, even though all of them uh, think they will. That that's interesting. What 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 surprised you the most? Huh, what surprised? Uh, other, other than the Broadway thing, obviously, which we already talked about, which is kind of cool. Were, were you prepared to ask him about Broadway? Like, have you seen a lot of shows? Yeah, I literally asked him. I was like, like, I think he brought up Broadway shows because I knew that West Side Story was his favorite movie. Okay. And so I knew he was at least tangentially in the musicals. Um, but being in the New York area, he's able to get to, like Syracuse is only like a four hour drive to the city. And so he's able to get, you know, to Broadway and, you know, he's got four daughters and he's got a wife and stuff like that. And so, you know, they get together and they see shows. Um, and they're able to see shows. It's interesting. Um, Babers also bakes. He bakes, but he doesn't like chocolate, which is interesting. So we bonded over that because I don't like chocolate either. Um, but the, the, other thing that I think was interesting that didn't necessarily make him the piece, um, it got in there a little bit, but it's the, it's his ability to appeal to millennials because Babers is an old, he's an older guy. You know, we said he's mid fifties, um, but he's also, his dad was in the Navy. And so because of that, like he's got a very heavy, like old school sensibility about him. And he'll admit that like he's an old school guy, but he's dealing with, 19 year olds and 20 year olds and he's able to bridge a gap between being old school and new school um in a very interesting way i like that i hey let me ask you this and i know that we're, we're kind of scattershot here at the end but I'm, I'm just picking your brain and for folks at home this is actually the first time i've had a chat with richard about his conversation with Babers. so you're hearing it as i'm hearing it these baylor guys are super secretive about this offense did, did he get into that, like how long he thinks it'll it'll actually stay secretive? No, he did not. He did not play ball in that question. Okay. I asked him. Um, I, I think I phrased it in a way of what is kind of the next evolution. Like if if defense is cyclical in a sense of offense has changed, then defense has changed, then offense has changed, then defense has changed. Um, offenses have changed. Defenses are uh, defenses have changed as well. You know, we talked about nickel becoming face personnel. Um, so I asked him point blank, "What's next?" And he wouldn't answer it. He wouldn't answer it. Um, you know, he didn't want to. He didn't want to give away the juice, as he called it. Um, 
But I think like and, – and Dino does not really get into the hows of situation. When I talk to some folks um, in a pre-reporting process to kind of get a gauge for kind of how he is um, you know, in conversation and, and with different topics, one of the things that I was told was don't, don't really ask a question about like how the scheme sausage is made. He, he won't really play ball there. He is very – that is an old school thing. Um, like he he's not really going to get into the hows of you know how the system runs and and stuff like that. So I did kind of stray away from that. Um, you know, tried to glean what I can glean out of some of the questions that I asked. But you know, we we didn't go, we didn't get too nitty gritty nuts and bolts into like scheme scheme stuff. Um, and and you know that that's by design. I I wonder, I wonder when it's going to happen because like like we pretty much all these systems, you know. Some coach finally goes and does one of the coaching conferences and really breaks it down how the thing is run, or or somebody writes a book, you know, about about how, how to run the system. But it's such it's it's kind of a, a very tightly held secret. You, know, you don't see guys like nobody who hasn't been in that system can go install that system. It seems you, you just don't see. And it. that's and that's the thing, like. You think the system's easy. Like, you think all they do is four verts. All right, that's fine. Why aren't 130 FBS schools doing it then? Like, why doesn't everybody do it if it's so easy to do? That Because it's not. It's not. I, it's kind of like, okay, the, like, like you, you get you get home something from Ikea. It looks real easy to put together. But if it breaks, the, you know, do you know how to fix it, right? Like, that. Yeah. that's the problem. Like, like do you, you can probably, you can probably look at, look, break it down as a coach. And and install it, but but can you adjust within it? Can you adjust on the fly? If you don't intuitively know it, you 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 can see it's broken, but you may not know exactly what's wrong with it when things start to go wrong. Uh, and I, I think that's why you, you don't see others trying to install it because it's such a a closely held little secret they have there. Um, I I also love that they brought this to the ACC. Like it's another. There's a lot of diversification of offense in this league. Where it used to be a league of kind of old NFL defensive coordinator head coach types who would run, you know, basically just all pro style. And the ACC was probably the last league to really adopt to chucking them all over the field. You know, e- even the Big Ten had Purdue. Uh, the ACC for, for a while, especially there, um, you know, the like the late 2000s was really homogenous. And and I, I think not, not a good thing. Uh, now it's got a a great diversity of offense. You know, you have Fuente at Virginia Tech, who who is, is different. You had Canada there at Pitt, who does a lot of different stuff. Obviously, Bro- or uh, God, not Bros, uh, Dino Babers at, at Syracuse. Um, you know, you have you have the Clemson system, which is the Chad Morris deal. You have Georgia Tech, which is pretty cool. And then you have two guys who run really successful pro style stuff with uh, uh, Jimbo and Rick. I like this league, and I think Syracuse hiring Babers is is a really good move, both for them, but but also for the league. Exactly, and I think the like the influxes of good coaches into the ACC last few years, um, or at least better coaches, um, benefits the conference. It benefits the conference, just like you said. Um, Pat Narduzzi's here, Mark Richt is here, Dino Babers is here. You know, that's just in the last three years that the, the conference has gotten those guys um, into the league. And obviously, 
you know, Cutcliffe is there doing his thing. He ain't going nowhere. Um, Petrino, Dabo, and Jimbo are obviously, you know, top of the heap. So the ACC's got coaching depth now in a way that they didn't necessarily have. Absolutely. And it goes into – I don't want to give away too much. Uh, I just talked about how the, the Baylor guys don't want to talk about their system. But, you know, I've got a couple article ideas that, that are coming out. Um, this is pretty deep in the podcast. I don't think anybody will steal this. You know, one <laughs> of them is sort of – the SEC is probably always going to be top dog in recruiting. But but by how much, right? Like, yeah. will we see the ACC start to take more players who might have signed with the SEC? And the answer – when going up against like Georgia and Alabama and Auburn is, is probably no, you're not going to have second tier ACC teams start to beat, you know, first tier SEC teams like that. But this is, you, you might, go ahead, go ahead. you know, in, at the second level, you, you might see some of that. Like, I don't know that like the Mississippi schools or Kentucky and all them are going to consistently beat out ACC schools going forward. I will say what I was going to ask was the I think people don't understand what it would take for like the north to become like more than one northern team to become like a power in college football. And I'm not like Ohio State and Michigan are what they are, like they're national brands. I'm talking about what would it take for, you know, Boston College, UConn and UMass and Syracuse to all come up at the same time. Like it would take a like demographic shift in this country. Like that's what we're talking about. Like it would like, that's the, that that's the bar here that it would take to fundamentally shift the, like the, the balance of power with the, the natural resource that is talented kids. Like the SEC is pretty much all, is going to be at the top of the heap because of proximity. Like, that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. Uh, I forgot who it was. There was a coach assigned a couple years ago, and he was like, if your mom tells you to, to, to go grab milk at the gas station, you don't go to the one across town. <laughs> Which, you know, is apt. Uh, and recruiting is, is truly a zero-sum game. Um you know, if, if you reduce the number of, of people competing for those players, which I think Syracuse system does help to isolate some, that can really uh, can, can really help you because you're, you're reducing your competition for for what you want. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the other stuff. I, I think that's probably it on Syracuse. We did an hour. That's that's a lot, really. Uh, but you know, I think, hey man, it's the off season. People people either listen to this or they won't. A uh, couple things. Recruiting-wise, uh, shout-out to uh, Big Mike Azike, uh, who I saw in Los Angeles and we wrote about. Uh, and he was a like low three-star rated kid with six offers at the time. And uh, my editor, Jason Kirk, was like, hey, do your thing. And so we did. <laughs> uh, like, as far as why, you, why did you go to L.A., you know, with all these four- and five-star kids? And now we're writing and making a video about some three-star but he measured in at uh, six foot five and a half, two twenty. Um, a kid tried to press him at the line of scrimmage during one-on-one drills, and he pancaked the dude. Richard, wow. Uh, he is a former Nigerian soccer player. Uh, hasn't played football for very long. Uh, had a had a good junior season. I think he had six offers, the best of which was like, I think Oregon State at the time. Um, and he told me 
was like, who do you think's next? Like, who's talking to you? This is a common question to get kids talking about, you know, more offers might come. Who's talking to you that hasn't offered yet, but you feel like they're probably close to, to giving you one? And he told me, I think Boston College and Vanderbilt. And, and the kids got grades, uh, which is always encouraging and, and good to hear. And in my, my mind, I was like, eh, what, what about like, you know, little, little higher level schools? Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not trying to do that to tell that to a kid because he's going to think I'm, I'm shitting on his offers, which I'm not. <laughs> Next week, UCLA, Oregon, Colorado. I know Tennessee's on him now, too. Uh, I think I think Penn State. So that's that's good. Good to see good to see Mike blow up. I, I think he is probably going to grow into kind of like a flex tight end, but uh, natural catching the ball, man, and for his size, moves pretty well. Yeah, and like I think that you mentioned the big Nigerian kid, like that's that's kind of like a thing, you know, uh, long limbs, track star kind of build, footwork due to soccer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those are guys that can run. They can run. Like, Absolutely, they're athletes. Um, um, and I think it's a very interesting thing that uh, to bring one of those guys in because the thing there I think is interesting becomes like body projection. Like, what is this guy's body gonna look like at age twenty? Like, and, and you've got to, you know, you you've got to get to get get with your strength coach, strength staff, and stuff like that um, to kind of tailor something to that young man's body to kind of maximize his ability, his talent, and quid pro quo your team. Right, because soccer players don't lift like football players do. So you, 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 this kid might really blow up when he gets in a college strength program. Exactly. Uh, hey, did you look at who the number one team is in the country, recruiting-wise right now? The Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, Miami. Uh, they added Mark Pope, who you should check out our video on the SB Nation College Ball Facebook page, and definitely click like on that. A lot of good content up there. Uh, over 100,000 views already. Uh, Noodles is his nickname. And uh, I actually got uh, Ricky Williams, who is one of the coaches, not like the famous Heisman Trophy Ricky Williams, but a, a guy from South Florida uh, who's with the Express team, 7-on-7. Uh, seven seven. Pope plays for the Fire team, which are their rivals down there. Um, he was saying, if you want to win, put Pope in. Right, and literally, Pope was kind of telling us his routes during the game, which is because he knew he was just smoking everybody during the uh, NFA seven on seven tournament I went to last weekend. But Ricky was saying this so loud, <clears throat> or not, not put Pope in, put Noodles in, because that's, that's Pope's nickname. He's like, if you want to win, put Noodles in, and it was so loud that I picked it up on my camera. So literally, he's saying this. Pope starts his route. Pope smokes a guy on a nine route, catches it. Gets up in the guy's face, talks some smack. Ricky says, what I just say? I spun around perfectly, like, like good videography on my part here. I said, well, one more time for the camera. And Ricky puts his arms up. He's like, if you want to win, put noodles in. And, uh, and that actually went on the intro of the video, and Miami's fans loved it. They also added Gervin Hall, uh, who is like a really good safety from South Florida. Now they have 15 commits in the class. Nine, four, or five stars. And so a couple of weeks ago, we did the over-under, right, for Miami. Where will they finish? And we also did, I think, the top 10 teams at the time. Um, do you remember where we had them? I think it was like I, eight and a yeah. half, right? Yeah, we, they were decidedly top 10, but we were trying to figure out how good. Right. How big will the class be? Because class size certainly impacts your ranking. And also, you know, how, how good will it be? Now, if you look at it right now, they are... Number one, 
in part because of quality, but also because of quantity. Most teams in March don't have 15 commitments. It's important early on, and by the way, early star ratings are, are, are pretty flawed. Um, they, they, luckily, they're dynamic, so they do adjust throughout the year, and we're, I think we're seeing less and less confirmation bias in them, which is a good thing. But they're a lot better at the end of the year. About three weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. All right, so 91.4 average star rating on, on 247. I went and compared that historically. Will 91.4 average star rating get you a number one class? No. Almost never over the last decade. Will it get you like a top five or six class? If you take a full class, like if Miami takes like 23, 25 kids with a 91.4, yes. So if they do continue this rate of, of recruiting as far as quality and they continue to add the quantity, uh, then yeah, I think that they are a really good bet to finish higher than our eight and a half uh, over-under that we set. If they want to get top three, they have to they have to start taking more more five stars than than the two and three stars, you know, which they don't have a lot of them, but I think they have seven or, or six of them now. That's interesting to, to, to track. I will say this though: in past years, I've written about how you know the early rankings are, are a mirage. We, we've had like Kentucky and Mississippi State at number one previously, almost entirely on quantity. Miami is not a pure quantity case. They also have a lot of quality in that in, in that class, so they're not going to fall like a Mississippi State or Kentucky have. And they're doing a really good job this year connecting with kids. If they have if they have a good year on the field, which you know they have a, a difficult schedule, but not a crazy tough one, they got to find a quarterback. But I, I think if they're able to you know to win ten games, they can keep this pace up. Yeah, and so we'll like it's you know the U wants to get back and the U wants to be you know what it was. This is this is the step, um, and I think this is a question I have for you. If so, Miami Miami starting fast on the recruiting trail like isn't necessarily rare. It's it's one of the things we kind of give them some shit about online. Like, but is this fast start different than the others the last few four or five years under Al Golden, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, mostly because I, I think the quality of kid is better, right? They also have more kids in this class that they've targeted who I think are legitimately interested in Miami. Whereas previously, I think some kids committed to Miami to get on the national recruiting radar to get offers from schools that have been better during these kids' lifetimes, right? Like, hey, I'll commit to Miami. Maybe that'll that'll you know have Alabama take notice in me and Bama can offer it. I can go there. I think more of the better kids in their class believe that Miami is their actual ultimate destination and that's where they want to be. So they're they're recruiting a better level of kid than they have in, in the past couple of years. But I think they're also they also have a better shot to retain them. I, like and that's like the retention thing. The retention thing is essentially the biggest like. I guess, variable and base question mark in starting fast. Like how many, all right, that's fine. How many guys are you going to keep? Like we look, we talked about Kansas, Kansas top five, you know, <laughs> recruit or whatever in February. That's fine. Um, but how many guys are you going to keep? Exactly right. Down to it, I want to throw you a name that, and I wrote about this on Kansas City, except because when I was in New Orleans, I talked to a lot of those New Orleans kids who are committed to Kansas, including Devonte Jason and Corion Harris. By the way, cool name. Corion. I like it. <laughs> All right. 
a name popped in my head. Jordan Scarlett. Oh, yes. You remember? I, of course. Where was he committed? Jordan Scarlett committed to FAU. Big deal. Did not finish. Committed to FAU. <laughs> Did not sign with FAU. And it still benefited FAU, I think, ultimately in that cycle because more kids took notice and more kids visited because Jordan Scarlett was out there saying stuff like FAU is building something special. I can go and I can make my own name at FAU. For folks who don't know, Jordan Scarlett was one of the best backs in Florida that year, and his head coach, Roger Harriet, uh, got hired on FAU's staff. And so Scarlett was super tight with Harriet, and he goes and, and, and he commits to FAU like 18 months out. Now, ultimately, he decommits commits to Miami and then I think flips to Florida. Did he either he decommitted from Miami and then flipped or, or whatever? He, he committed to three schools at different times, ends up at Florida, is having a pretty nice career. If Florida will give him the ball more, that'd probably be good too. But I, I got to thinking, okay, even if these New Orleans kids, who are the real highly rated New Orleans kids, don't sign with Kansas, if you got Devontae Jason and Corian Harris coming back and saying good things after their trip to Kansas and saying they want to make another visit up there, maybe a... a, a I don't want to use like the in your lane term or in your league, but maybe some of the kids who are probably more Kansas quality kids or Kansas plus from New Orleans, maybe they'll take notice and they'll say, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to give Kansas a real shot." And there's actually like a realistic chance I would sign with Kansas. So even if Kansas is to lose these two four stars they have, and, and one of them already dropped, or one of the three already dropped, so they're down to two four stars from New Orleans, I still think there's some some net positive there. And it's a nice little chip uh, for the coaches Kansas have who are from New Orleans. You know, it's like, hey, I, I was able to get these kids committed, got them on campus, got us some publicity. So if you're a lesser school out there who lands a commitment of a kid and then he decommits, don't always fret. There's still some potential residual positive value from that. Well, yeah. And the other thing is, like, you don't sign five stars to sign four and three stars. Like it's, it's a process. Like it's the other way around. You sign three stars, you sign four stars, then you shoot your shot on five stars. Like it's a, you build to it. Exactly right. Um, so yeah, I have both those stories up on SB nation. Also going to have a notebook coming out from the NFA, uh, seven on seven Southeast championships, which is at IMG problem is it's like 1500 words and I've got to pare it down or do something with it. Eventually I will get that published. So check for that. It might be out by the time this podcast is up. You got anything else? I uh, do not. Besides, uh, the story is called Dino Babers is here to strike fear into defensive coordinators. And uh, you should read it. No doubt. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting. And, hey, let's subscribe to the podcast and leave us some good reviews on iTunes. Uh, we we got to catch up to the solid verbal. They have like a thousand. We don't have very many at all. Um, that's probably because we don't publish often enough, but we're going to try. We're going to try to do 30 episodes this year, maybe 35. So keep listening, folks. Appreciate it. Richard, enjoy this talk, man. It's a good story, and, and I like getting some of the background on it as well here. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care.